0: Hello, this is The Away Leg. This week, it's Michael Hanlon, Dan Turner-Hughes, and me, Joe Amos. The longest ever Premier League season is finally over. We take a look at the top four. But first, we think what's going on with fixture, Gladick. Hello gents how are we Michael? I'm good mate how are you? You know getting on getting on. How good is anyone these days? Well yeah there is that. Dan how are you? I'm, I'm living. Still breathing. Alright well we'll get straight into it. Uh, the first thing we've got to talk about today is the absolutely manic busy schedule that we've got coming up over the next few oh. months up towards Christmas. Um, So today, the 27th, uh, the transfer window in England is now officially open. Premier League fixtures have finished. However, games have just finished within the last half hour or so for playoff first legs uh, for Cardiff-Fulham. We've then got a couple of days before Swansea-Brentford and then Cardiff-Fulham again before we move into August. Then we've got the FA Cup final on the 1st, that's Arsenal-Chelsea playing. I believe, and again, this is, I feel this can't be true from the research it is. The Scottish Premiership also starts on the first. I'm aware they didn't finish their season, but they also do currently still have debates on who actually is in that league because of some odd voting system involving Dundee. We won't get into that fully. The final day of the Serie A season, Juventus are already champions, but it's now, as it was the Premier League, a race to see who finishes in the top four. Um, the Spanish transfer window and the championship player finals are on the fourth. Then, to make it even worse, then on Wednesday the fifth and Thursday the sixth, you've got four Europa League games in each bracket. Then the seventh and the eighth, you've got Champions League games: Juve against Lyon, Man City against Real Madrid in their second legs, Bayern Chelsea, Barcelona, Napoli their second legs. You've then at the same time as that got Champions League qualifying preliminaries, but European quarterfinals, Champions League semi-finals. The only days we've got off in August where there is no football. No major football. I believe there's still going to be Scottish League games and I think League of Ireland games, I think, are going on. But, you know, sorry, am a fan of them, but does anyone really care? So, yeah, it's the 3rd, the 20th, the 22nd, the 24th, and the 27th, 28th, and 29th. They're the only oh. days there isn't being a major game of football being played. However, there is also still transfer windows open at that point. So, it's absolutely anybody's guess what's going on. Because obviously, anyone who signed now in the transfer windows won't be able to play in the Champions League remaining fixtures for this season, because of how the registration works. I think Timo Werner will not be playing for either Leipzig or Chelsea in the remaining games.
1: I don't know. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in the way that. Well, obviously, we haven't seen anything like this current situation. You'd think that have, have like had some sort of contingency plans should something like this had happened. If that like something from FIFA or UEFA wa- or any of the kind of federations, they should have had something. Like, yes, football's not the be-all and end-all. It's just been an absolute kind of mess. It seems like they're making it up as they go along. They don't have clues what's going on. I honestly think that Timo Werner could probably turn up at Chelsea in the... Champions League and they'll just go oh, yeah, you know what go on then have a go knock yourself out kid.
0: I think part of the reason that we've got in a really complicated situation with it all is that everyone wants to have the games played everyone wants to finish these competitions and get them done so my biggest issue is however given that football was cancelled practically in March You've had several months to kind of work out what the hell you're doing. Yeah, you have plenty of time to work out to kind of go like, right. If football, do, if we do finish the season, we're gonna. When are we gonna finish it? How are we gonna finish it? Let's get these calendars sorted out, rather than ending up in a situation where because there has already been conversations and talks and requests from certain Premier League clubs, I think major ones are Liverpool and Manchester City, about playing their youth teams, their actual youth players who are not registered as first team players in cup competitions, particularly in earlier rounds, because they have absolutely no idea how many fixtures they're going to have to play. So Manchester City and Liverpool are two major ones who will probably be competing for a title. Still wanting to play a top-quality game every week when the Premier League restarts in less than seven weeks-ish. They'll then have two cup competitions. There'll be a community shield at some point. God only knows when that's going to happen. It's baffling how on earth anyone has gotten in a situation where you have this many games all happening near enough at the same time. Yeah, no one wants to drop their competition. Obviously, UEFA will say, no, you've got to play the Champions League and Premier League will say, well, it's the Premier League and FA will go where we want the Cup competition to carry on, but something's got to give somewhere, surely.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like i do with the Community Shields. Like, there's no point in that. Have it in December or around Christmas time or wait until the end of this coming season to have it. I get that it's a nice pre-season game that people sometimes take seriously, but it's going to be Liverpool versus Arsenal or Chelsea. It's for the fans. It's for, it's for people to see the team at Wembley. Like, they might not have got to the FA Cup final or whatever. It's for them to kind of have that chance to see their team play at Wembley.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a day out rather than a competitive fixture, isn't it? It's not... The
1: whole. It's like a light-hearted kind of... The whole thing about it was it was the charity shield. It was a game mm. where they all the proceeds of that game went to a charity, and I think it was the Ronald McDonald's Houses charity or whatever that they set up. And But at this moment in time, it just seems a little bit pointless, because the money that would usually come in from the 90,000 people at Wembley isn't going to be coming in.
0: It's, well, it's the same with a lot of, like you said, the, with uh, the Community Shield, a lot of these are uh, super cups. So it's, you know, the winner of the league and the winner of the cup sort of thing. Um, a lot of them feel almost redundant now because... Like, uh, like, UEFA's got their scheduled in. For, so it's the Europa League winning and the Champions League winner scheduled in for September the 24th, which... Yeah, fine. Germany's got their scheduled in as the DFL Super Cup for the thirtieth of September. Which, yeah, fine. But if Bayern Munich, if Bayern Munich wins the wins the Champions League, they're going to be tired for that one. Particularly given when, you, especially when you've then got international fixtures, because you've then got the Nations League, which starts in the beginning of September. So you're going to have certain players who are going to be so exhausted.
1: I just don't understand why they're trying to rush back in national football. Yeah, I get that we've got an international competition coming up, and we've got the World Cup in how many years? But it's like you're asking for trouble. This situation that's going on in the world hasn't gone away
0: yet. No, it, it does. It does feel like we're very much right. kind of just going. Well we've got to get this going again because we have to. It's football. People love football. Yes, but it's the so, least it's the most important thing that doesn't matter.
1: The fact that they're on about letting people back into stadiums like in October.
0: Well, the French Cup, the Coupe de France, was on Friday with fans in the stadium. It was a slightly more limited number of fans. It wasn't a packed out stadium, but there were fans in the stadium. There were fans in the Grattan. I have no I had no problem with them finishing the Premier League games behind closed doors. And I assume the Champions League will be very similar. I
1: actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it, it, it's
0: it's a nice change. It's a nice change. It's something different. Football does get a bit stale towards the end of the season. Whereas this break and now coming back and it all being a bit weird, it's kept it interesting if nothing else. So obviously the season is now finished. Uh, Liverpool are champions. They've been champions for at least a couple of weeks, but you know. Season now officially over. We now know who stayed up, who's gone down, who's won, who's in European competition. We're gonna talk about the top four this week just to make life simpler. So Liverpool obviously have won deserving champions, I think. They've had a good season. You can't really deny that, can we?
2: They've been the no. best team in the Premier League. to as simple as. No team has come close to them. I would say maybe Man City were close <clears throat> before Christmas. They, cl- they, I think they closed the gap by that. I think they closed the gap to about four points. It was the closest that anyone had actually got to them, uh, barring maybe Leicester. Out of all the teams that I really felt that were actually going to cause Liverpool some serious problems, was definitely Leicester.
1: I think Liverpool deserved to win. Man City towards the end stepped off the gas a little bit. That gave Liverpool an opportunity. When we came back, they only needed six points to win the league. Only people who could have messed it up for Liverpool this season was Liverpool. And how many times have Liverpool done that? I
2: wish that it didn't happen this way so they could actually raise that title up high, how they should have and deserve to.
0: Not it is, the it is a shame that this season will always have slight asterisks next to it considering that Liverpool have had a, a frankly incredible season there's there's no questions for that mm-hmm. one they've obviously been the best, one of the best teams in Europe if not the best team in Europe Klopp speaks to the fans
1: and for the fans it's been years since Liverpool have had a manager that does that the fact it's that he was like when,
2: when, he, when he came back not so much but initially
1: but that was before the Premier League era that was when they were dominant yeah,
2: it was still you know Division 1 Premier League it's still the same thing it's just another name him.
0: So obviously, Dan, you mentioned uh, Ken Douglas uh, and Mike. You mentioned Liverpool making mistakes and would pay, it would cost Liverpool the title. Liverpool, we obviously remember the uh, the Steven Gerrard incident a few years ago, where it was the closest they'd been to winning a title aside from last year, where they were one point out of it. But today we really see City dropping that point. The last time Liverpool were crowned champions of the first division was in the 1989-1990 season with a goal difference of plus 41, which now looks very low in comparison. Jürgen Klopp joined the club in 2015 when they finished eighth behind West Ham, Southampton and eventual champions Leicester. He's done a fantastic job, hasn't he? He has made such a significant difference to that club.
2: Yeah. Since he came in 2015, uh, I saw a graphic of the original team that he had and you compare that to to the team that he has now and has had for the last two years. There is no comparison whatsoever. And, And it's still incredible what Klopp actually still managed to do with that team. Yeah, That's they've goodness. been in faith, but they played some really good football in that season. And you look at them now, I mean, you know, going from convincingly winning the Champions League to just over a year and a half later, winning the Premier League. It's, it's an incredible achievement. All they need now is a domestic cup. Do they?
1: Jurgen Klopp to Liverpool, I think, is going to be like Alex Ferguson to Man United. Me personally As a a football fan I'm not a massive Liverpool fan I've enjoyed the way They've played football This season You look at Liverpool As a football club as As a whole entity And you think With those fans With that stadium With that manager With that squad The possibilities are endless Jurgen Klopp has this knack of making teams better. Borussia Dortmund were a good team. They had good players, but he took them to the next level. For me, football managers don't get as much credit, especially in the Premier League.
0: A lot of the recruitment at Liverpool throughout the last few years has not been solely down the clock. There is a couple of years ago, a big overhaul, and they went in a lot more focused with analytics and data, which I think served them very well. Their recruitment obviously has been exceptional, particularly the last couple of years. I can't really think of a player they've signed who's been a really kind of been a bit of a waste Lazar Markovic comes to mind I'm pretty
1: sure that he was signed before Klopp got there though I think what The whole kind of for me, the best manager in the Premier League is what he does with these bit part players. Let's
2: take Divock Origi for one example.
1: Origi for me is like the generic super sub. Comes on, he'll bang a goal in out of nowhere.
0: He was so important in the Champions League win last year, just coming out with goals from absolutely nowhere. The recruitment has been exceptional. We've got the start here of only seven players from Klopp's season. He first joined, been regular players this season, being Dejan Lovren, Joe Gomez, James Milner, Jordan Henderson and Molana, Roberto Firmino, and Diva Garrigi. I I didn't realise that Roberto Firmino was already at the club before Klopp. That hadn't occurred yeah. to me. I hadn't thought about that. When Klopp arrived, Firmino was kind of this side player. No one was really thinking about him. I was there was a lot more focused on, you know, Balotelli or Benteke or whoever else they brought in, you know, these, you know, these much bigger, physically stronger strikers. And then Klopp's come in and gone, no, no, we've, we've got some players who don't necessarily fit the standard mould of a Premier League striker, but are exceptionally talented players that we need to then slightly change how the team works to get the most out of them. I think that's what he excels at. He he puts in his style and his philosophy in the team. But manages to get the best out of the players he's got. He you know, he, obviously he knows what he wants where which brings us to the recruitment again of he's brought in players that are actually useful to him. Um, like you know, we all scoffed a little bit a few years ago when Georgino Wanaldum signed from I believe it was he came from Newcastle at the time and everyone went that's insane. What are you doing? Why are you signing Wanaldum? He's, he's just nearly been relegated from the Premier League with, with Newcastle last Absolutely insane. And then, exceptional player.
1: With Wijnaldum, though, it did take a year or two for him to get used to playing at that level. Who's been Liverpool's most important player this
0: season? Obviously, you know, your front runners here are Van Dyke, Jordan Henderson, Salah, Mane, Alexander Arnold, Robertson. Near enough the whole team could get a mention here. They've all played up? so well.
2: The player for me that's been the most important for Liverpool, Virgil Van Dyke. Because without him, that back four would not have became the brick wall that it became. The other player for me that has been the glue that held that team together since they lost to Real Madrid has been James Milner. Because James Milner did a job every single time Klopp asked him to do something that was probably out of his comfort zone. Play right back, left back during a uh, bit of an injury crisis and then in the midfield as well. It's James Milner. Mike, for you, who have you got?
1: Henderson.
0: When he wasn't in the in the team, they lost. Obviously, Jordan Henderson on Friday morning uh, was named the uh, Football Right Association Football of the Year in front of De Bruyne and Marcus Rashford. Obviously, that award isn't purely down to on-pitch uh, performances; it is down to everything else as well.
1: If you just said to me when he's first signed for Jordan Henderson is going to lift the Premier League title, I'd have, I'd have laughed. When they signed Wijnaldum, we scoffed. When they signed Henderson, we scoffed. I got it. Like I understood like Gerard was coming to the end of his career. They needed someone to f- fill that slip-shaped gap. And he seemed like the natural fit. And he has, and still, and it's like, it was, I think it was Brendan Rodgers who wanted to offload him. And he was devastated.
0: One of the biggest the, credits to Jordan Henderson is commitment and dedication that man has. He's, he is... So so enthusiastic's not even the word. I think more than anyone like he's had a couple of sort of niggling injuries, which is why he was out of the team for a short while, uh, when yeah. things did start to go a little bit south and they did go out the cups and they did go out the Champions League. And and like from you know, from all reports and from you know his other teammates talking about and whatnot, the effort and the work he puts in at getting back on that pitch and getting back in that squad and to make to get his team to that title to really just push him forward. I, yeah, I don't think that can really be understated, is how important that Never part he of his game is.
1: Anything about him grumbling about not being in the team or grumbling no. about yep. being content with his role. I think that if you... Yes, I think I agree with you about Milner, Dan. Over the course of his Liverpool career, he has filled in, in all, almost every single position on that pitch. And you cannot fault his effort. I think this season he's played less games and he's been a little bit less influential on the pitch, but he's been more influential off the pitch One of the points that I was going to make About Klopp quickly Before we kind of Moved on from that Was the amount Of youth players That actually went up At the yes. medal Have to hit a certain Amount of games In a season To get a medal Do you know what I mean So it's like That is a thing That happens And to have so many Youth players Up there With the first team At Man City They've got like Phil Ford Raheem Sterling Still proper young But to have that New blood Lifelong Liverpool fans By the way like, That have got A Premier League medal At the age of 70
0: 18 i think a very key player for what you're talking about here is alexander arnold obviously he's a liverpool fan he has been for probably his entire life and he started 36 games this season is liverpool's highest assist earner this season with 13 that's crazy for a right as a fullback it's incredible to be fair their second highest assist of this season is andy robertson on 12 it clearly shows how they play if nothing else but even, even on the last day of the season, the last game of the season, yeah, it was a game that they didn't need to win. It didn't really matter. It was a bit of a throwaway game. Klopp decided not to start Alexander-Arnold. He did play. He came on. But he didn't start him. They've got five subs now. They can use them. Instead, he started Neco Williams.
2: Just going back on to what Mike was saying about Jordan Henderson, he is the consummate professional. He He's a likeable guy as well. Like, he's always very polite to people. and He's always got the time. He'll always make the time. Mm. But on the football pitch, he... Trent Alexander-Arnold, Andy Robertson are three of those guys, along with James Milner, who put their work in week in, week out. You want them on your team, as well as the fact that Trent and Andy Robertson are two of the best wing-backs in the Premier League, if not the world.
0: Andy Robertson signed from Hull. Andy Robertson's story of how he ended up at Liverpool is insane. Basically, uh, wanting to stop playing football and get a job that actually pays a better wage, given that it just wasn't working out for him. And he got released, ended up at Hull and then mm. then got signed for Liverpool and everyone was like who yeah. the hell is this weird Scottish sk- kid <laughs> signing from Hull? Like again, one of those signings that we all kind of went, what's this about? Like what happened yeah. like Jordan Henderson, like all these others. There's been like there hasn't been that many. Even to a certain extent, even Mohamed Salah, because everyone was like, well, he mm. kind of flopped at Chelsea a little bit, didn't he? Like, yeah, you know, he's, he's fine, but he's not special sort of thing. And then, then they come out the gate and they're absolutely exceptional. I think there's only the only diamonds I can think of that were that were really obvious. Like, nah, they're going to be they're going to be really important, really really good players. Were Van Dijk, Allison, yeah. who obviously who came for a lot of money from Roma Sadio Mane and to a certain extent Naby Keir. and then Naby Keir is the only one I can really say has been almost disappointing he's still been good he's not been terrible by no means but he's not out know the scratch of the other three I know that we
2: could probably end up talking about the, the
0: entire Liverpool team from top to bottom
2: I think one of the players that was has been also a little bit overlooked as well to his quality
0: is Fabinho like we said with everyone, everyone in that squad this this season has really done a job and has done what they've been asked mm-hmm. to do, which I think is credit to to Klopp more yeah. than anyone else. Really, for that of. Absolutely. The players. Yeah. You know, he's got a group of players there who, whether it's down to recruitment or stylizing or whether just having belief in the manager, you know, he asks them to jump, they say how high, and jobs get done, things happen. So, yeah, so Liverpool obviously deserving winners. Now, for a lot of clubs coming in comfortably second, you know, fifteen points ahead of third in Premier League season, you know, would be a good season for a lot of clubs, but. For City, it's a bit different. You know, there were, there were some high expectations for Manchester City, who obviously won the uh, the League Cup, the Carabao Cup.
2: One of the things that I did notice about that semi-final was how unbelievably dejected and fed up Kevin De Bruyne looked with Man City and actually being there. Now, I could be wrong, but when you look at his body language, with how much effort he was putting in, and then you see just how little they were producing after he was putting key passes through that destroyed our defence on many occasions. He wanted the match to be over. I I can't see De Bruyne being there much longer if City don't get their act together. (laughs) i <laughs> Trophy of some sort. I think, I think that what? might have
0: been a might have been a case of just that day sort of thing because scored an absolute peach and got a, and got a couple of assists and whatnot on the last day of the season. Did really well and he he looked to be there. He looked to be enjoying it. Obviously there was questions being raised about his and a few other players' futures, but he was the the real big one. It was potential loss for them if they weren't to have European football for two seasons. With the ban which has now been overturned, which does put City at rest a lot. You know that kind of secures the futures a bit more. And I think a lot of the players will stick out and will stay because they you know they do believe they've got a. They've got a good run there. They've got a good team. They've got they've got, obviously got potential to win things given they've broke 100 points last season. I think they need to show progression because they're an excellent team and they've continued to be an excellent team. They've had a bit of a bad year this year. Even if, even if they won the season this year, what was going to be the difference? They're still not winning the treble. They're still unlikely to win the Champions League. I don't think anyone wants to be at a club where they're just good they want to be getting better they want to be the best and if they can't win everything they're not the best it's a very odd thing but that's how football is it's competitive sport that's the whole point of
2: it i think on that same token joe you've made a very very good point you want to be the best you want to be playing constantly and constantly being competitive and just looking at how city's been for the last year is it me or does it seem that they're starting to plateau and they're not getting much better than they actually are, especially with them losing David Silva.
0: I think this season is going to be an outlier. We'll see going forward in the next season and with the remaining Champions League fixtures this season, because obviously they did have the European ban hanging over them for a lot of this season, and then obviously they had the injury problems in defence, and everything went a little bit south. Liverpool kind of started to pull away from the league. I think there was might well have been a feeling earlier on in the season of like oh, you know, what's the point? Like, we're not getting anything out of this. You know, the defence is a bit leaky because we've lost Laporte. And, you know, I wouldn't Feel comfortable making a firm sort of call on that one to say like, there are clearly problems at Man City, but I think it's definitely worth, something worth keeping an eye on. Liverpool having such an excellent season being so good, I think is the best thing that could happen for City because now they've actually got a challenge. They've got competition. It's yeah. not like I'm going to walk away with this every year. We did mention it. City have had a lot of defensive problems this year with injuries. Fernandinho, around as being a very important person in City's midfield, started 24 games at centre back this season and only two yeah. in midfield because they just haven't had anyone.
1: Well, okay, you've lost company, but you shouldn't have to. To put centre midfielders at centre back.
0: Your league champions, like, how are you getting caught out? When you know, when you've got as much money as you do, when you are consistently good, when you've won the title two years in a row, you shouldn't be in a position where you can't bring a centre back in. Someone to fill a gap, if nothing else.
1: Get Nathan Ake from Bournemouth, like, why weren't they trying to get someone of, like that level? These problems weren't like they were consistent throughout the season. If I'm Guardiola and I'm looking at my squad and I'm trying to come up with like a shopping list,
0: something that really concerns me was. City's recruitment in the minute it's the constant talk of needing a left back City have spent hundreds of millions on left backs yes they've obviously had problems with Benjamin Mendy He's just not really been a player that anyone thought he was going to be but we're still going about left backs for City we're still going about left backs and full backs for City particularly this season you had a bigger problem there it wasn't a left back that was your issue your problem was your centre backs that was the problem you had you needed to get a centre back in who could do a job there replace Laporte while he was injured and they didn't but on that note Edison getting the golden glove <laughs> She's probably said about City's defensive frailties, they kept more clean sheets than everyone else. So, what do we know, I suppose? <laughs> a lot of City's clean sheets and a lot of them have come at the end of the season after the restart when Laporte's been fresh and everyone's been back where they have been. Best team in the world in some of those games where they've brushing teams aside. They were phenomenal in some of those games, but that's when you've got a full squad.
1: But when you've got a decent keeper behind you,
0: it almost doesn't matter who's in front. Moving on from City's defence in the midfield, Rodri, who I think has shown this season that he can be the successor to Fernandinho, who's obviously getting on a bit now. He's had a very good season. He's made the most passes per 90 in the club for this season. Most accurate long passes per 90, most accurate short passes per 90 of, of any City player who's made more than 15 appearances. He's been good. He's been a solid midfielder. He's played a bit defensively. He has covered that defence a little bit while it has been a bit frail. I think he's done a good job doing what he's been brought in to do. any Anything anything more anyone wants to really say about Rodri and the midfield before we move on to the two biggest names in the midfield for Man City? He's definitely come in and done a job that was required of him. I think we can safely say that.
2: Whenever I've seen Rodri play, he's always been quite a defensive force for the midfield. He could quite seamlessly take over from Fernandinho. Other than that, there's not really a
0: whole lot to say about Rodri. He's very much a role player. He's fairly understated, players go. Um one of the more important players for this season for Man City has also been Kevin De Bruyne, who has won the playmaker award. Is that what they're calling it these days? Got yeah, assists, is, yeah. equaled Thierry Henry's record of twenty assists. He's made the most key passes per ninety in terms of actual scoring opportunities. Moving on to another attacking midfielder who will not be with City next season. Played his final game yesterday for them. Darwin Silver, who's made four hundred and thirty-four appearances for City in all competitions, won fourteen trophies. Been four league titles, two FA Cups, five League Cups, and three Community Shields. He's had a handful of individual awards, PFA Team of the Year twice. Uh, he's been Man City's Player of the Season and City's Player's Player of the Season once. How highly rated and how highly lauded should David Silva's contributions to City be held? The man deserves a statue. That's how highly I rate David Silva. Since City's takeover, I think he's been one of the most important players going. We've seen this season how important company was to that squad. I think the shame here is that we won't see such a big impact next season without David Silva. His position is covered by De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva. The replacements have De Bruyne to replace him. They've planned for that future already. But yeah, he's so excellent. I think he's almost Overlooked in a case of great plays in the Premier League because he is so understated, particularly in that City squad just shortly after the takeover when they really took off. Where obviously, you know, you've got these big personalities in the team. You know, you've got Tevez was around at that time. You've got Balotelli yeah. in there. I think David Silva very much is understated in just talked the press that off. Like like we said about Jordan Henderson, he's kind of there and you don't really hear complaints. You don't hear really hear gripes. You know, he does a fantastic job. And has done for City for... <laughs> A long time now. I'll be interested to see where he goes next. I don't think anyone would begrudge him going somewhere to earn a boatload of cash. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Mike, any addition to For me,
1: I think David Silva is the best Premier League midfielder of the last 10 years. Very hard-pressed to find a more consistent player in the Premier League than mm.
0: David Silva. Moving across Manchester to United, it's a weird season Man United to finish third, despite the fact that before Christmas, I had Oli and Solskjaer lined up to be sacked before Christmas, before the New yeah. Year, never mind coming third and getting Champions League football. It's a hell of a turnaround, given they, uh, they won eight out of their first 20 games. Eight. He inherited problems but he's done exactly that he's
2: turned it around and got man united in the top four
0: in third and man
2: united have done themselves a service by bringing in bruno fernandez who for me reminds me quite a bit of paul Scholes. they've needed that playmaker for quite yeah. a few years now. I, I, think, I think Solskjaer is going to be a mainstay for Manchester United for quite some years.
0: It's an incredible turnaround, particularly after the restart. They've been incredible, which will lead us on Bruno Fernandes. Given they lost one game in their last 15, United have played 17 games since signing him in January. His first game was in February. He started 14 of those 17 games and they've not lost a single one. Been sublime. He's been the absolute catalyst for that team mm-hmm. to really go on and do, frankly, some really good football. I'm not a Manchester United fan. And I will usually slate Manchester United as being a little bit dull, a little bit boring, because that's my experience of Man United. I'm a fairly recent football fan. My knowledge of football doesn't really exist before 2010. Bruno Fernandes being brought in. You've had Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood playing extraordinarily well. They've been excellent. question I want to ask you two, I've got much more knowledge of actually playing football than I do. But a lot of people have lauded the fact of how two footed Mason Greenwood is how important is that as a skill for a player
1: for a forward I think it's invaluable like
0: if your job is to score goals you want to be scoring goals doesn't matter if it's left
1: foot right foot head Like I get the Mason Greenwood hype I think that he needs to be nurtured I like Rashford but I always feel that players that kind of just break straight into like these bigger teams like yeah Rashford's yeah Greenwood's yeah Foden your yeah, Mounts I mean it's those players like I think. think. think Ryan Kent's going to be brilliant if he stays at Liverpool I think he's going to be amazing if he goes to Rangers I think that might stunt his growth season on loan either Rangers but I always feel a little bit suspect that these players that kind of start for their like parent club straight away have that risk of either pushing on and being incredible
0: or falling by the wayside I think Dean Henderson being on loan at Sheffield United is is an excellent thing for his career he's getting Premier League experience now which is an incredible thing and he's proven himself to be very competent and very good, which is always excellent. But I'd always be very suspect of him starting, which brings me to one of our next topics of Manchester United is David De Gea. Now, you two have both played a bit of time as goalkeepers. You've seen some stats between David De Gea and Dean Henderson, because there's a lot of fans of football and a lot of United fans who are suggesting that maybe Dean Henderson should be brought back to United to replace David De Gea as the number one. Personally, I think that's a bad idea. But between the two of them, there's not that big a difference has David De Gea had a bad season? Is David De bad?
2: No, he's not. But I think there is two sides of this argument that could go either way. First way is, you bring Dean Henderson in now because of how impressive he's been for Sheffield United. Regardless of them having a decent defence, has it been a better defence than Man United? Arguably, yes. But... Has he been better than David De Gea? Maybe he's a little bit, slightly better, yes. Especially with David De Gea having having these howlers in him. Dean Henderson is looking to be more of the safer goalkeeper. His hands are safer, they look, they seem safer, especially this season. He's been sublime. Whereas David De Gea appears, to some people, to be on uh, slight decline but we've seen it with goalkeepers where they'll have a couple of bad seasons it's a huge risk either Dean Henderson could turn out to be unfortunately maybe he's another average goalkeeper that isn't Man United standard and they'll leave people wishing that they kept David De Gea or Dean Henderson ends up being an absolute world-beater of a goalkeeper and ends up going to a different team and Man United again are left with egg on their faces it's a catch-22 situation
0: is the best option possibly bring Dean Henderson Henderson back next season to Man United don't necessarily have him play as number one keep David De Gea playing plays number one but have Dean Henderson wait in the wings so if David De Gea does a, get a bad run of form or maybe picks up an injury you know, as we've seen with other keepers to then have a really good keeper to step in in that gap they've got Sergio Romero
1: my opinion on David De Gea and Dean Henderson is De Gea doesn't look interested he looks a little bit frustrated as the ball kind of creaks under his hands or off his face and into the net he, it looks like he's dejected he's not happy where he is I think De Gea needs a new challenge I don't think that Henderson should be Man United goalkeeper. If I was Chris Wilder, what I would do is I would go to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer with a blank check and go, in, How much? You've just secured Premier League football for the next season. You've got Sanderberg. You've got a decent team. If you lose Henderson, your team falls apart. He's
0: such a key feature of that team, I think Sheffield want to keep hold of him.
1: But what I yeah. do to-, to kind of part ways is insert a buyback clause. Or maybe even
0: a yeah.
1: Chelsea came in with a 45 million pound bid for Dean Henderson in five years, or 76 million because that's the way the world's going again. Mm. What I'd do is I'd be like, well, Man United can sign for 35.
0: I think that sounds almost sensible, and that seems a reasonable option. That's
1: um, what I'd do. I mean, Romero hasn't really done anything when he's filled in for De Gea I like, think
0: Romero's a fantastic cupkeeper. keeper but it's his role it's his place Romero's really, the same as
2: um, a David Ospina he's practically the same goalkeeper Yeah, uh, David,
0: David Ospina Sergio Romero Willy Caballero they're all the same person to me really aren't they they're a solid cupkeeper yeah. but they're not yeah. a Premier League star but, week in week out uh,
1: However, on the on the subject of number two goalkeepers, I just kind of really want to give a shout out to my boy Emmy Martinez, who's been absolutely fantastic since Leno's horror.
0: He's came. Oh, I, so. I think he's found his feet. I think he's. Oh, uh, think he's back, back,
1: since when he. When that that massive cup game against Reading, where it was like five five before extra time, and he was in goal for that, I think it was. I think that was his Arsenal debut, but I'm not
2: sure. Yeah, it was his Arsenal debut, seven five against Reading.
1: But like, <laughs> Leno is possibly one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and they are, they are big gloves to fill, and he did it spectacularly. And I don't think United have a person who could step up no. to that kind of level.
2: No. That
1: was the point I was
0: trying to make. I think Henderson would be that, but I don't want him to be that. I want him to start signed for Sheffield United. So I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, with being back in European football and being back in the Champions League and it is a bit more of a challenge, you know. It feels like he's on the big stage again rather than like uh, playing on a Thursday night and the champions of Romania or whatever. Like, yeah, it's it's a big name goalkeeper. You know, he's supposed to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So when you're not really getting the competition for that, yeah, I can understand exactly. why you'd feel a bit like, oh, what's it's the point him. of this? There's no one there to kind of make him better. From a team with a Spanish international goalkeeper to another one, Chelsea came in fourth, last the top four, arguably a much more questionable than De Gea this season, Kepa Arizabelaga, he has definitely had a, a fairly poor season. He's conceded 47 goals when really, given the shots that were coming at him, was only expected to concede 36. So he's he's very much performed under what was expected of him and very much under what he probably should have done given what he actually came up against. Especially well below what he's worth as well. Given that he is the world's most expensive goalkeeper. Yeah, uh, I was about to mention that one. Is it just, a, as you said earlier, Dan, sometimes goalkeepers do have an off-season. Is this an off-season or is this maybe Kepa's not the keeper we thought he was?
2: From what I've seen of Kepa before he joined Chelsea, I believe he is having a bit of an off-season. I'd say give him one more, one more year. <clears throat> I'd say give him one more year, but whether Frank Lampard will have the
0: patience with his attitude is an entirely different question uh, altogether. Yeah, he had problems while well, Mirceau Sari was Chelsea manager last season. I think the, the bigger problem here could be how Kepa feels about playing football in England rather than his ability as a goalkeeper.
2: For what Chelsea paid for him? It's, it's just, it's not even comparable how bad he's been. Just
1: uh, but... a habit of signing overpriced Spanish players, though.
2: Well, Chelsea
0: actually haven't been very poor this season. You know, they've been fairly good. Chelsea. Expectations for Chelsea were, were fairly low this season. To finish fourth and get Champions League football, I think is a fair achievement for them.
1: Honourable mention. So, well well done, Chelsea.
0: I think the signings that they've already made and are likely to make in the next sort of week or so I think will I mean, be a big tide turner yeah. for them. Mateo Kovacic and Christian Pulisic have both been pretty good at moving the ball forward, but they've done it with the ball at their feet rather than passing the ball forward. I like Pulisic. He's probably one of my favourite players in the Premier League these days. He's exciting to watch. He does things that you kind of don't quite expect him to do. He, he blessed and he tries. He just gives it a go. Like, He's got, you know, he's had a fair few amount of unsuccessful dribbles this season, but he's had a lot of successful ones. So, you know, he's, he's putting the effort, he's giving it a go, which, you know, what more can you ask for, to a certain extent?
1: I, I love Pulisic. I think Pulisic, Havertz and Werner in a top, like, attacking four.
0: And Hakim Ziyech.
1: And Hakim Ziyech. Exactly, in the middle. It's yeah. like... What on a...
0: That's a dangerous team. How would
1: they put the money on Chelsea to win the league now? They've got
0: to win at 7-5 every week. I'm very Um, excited for next season because theoretically the signs that are going to be coming through with Chelsea... Man United look like they could be really quite a good force. Liverpool obviously being excellent and Man City being pretty excellent. I think you could have a real proper title race next season. And that's going to be a real nice change. Obviously last year we had the, the close finish between City and Liverpool... Which was, which was nice and which was exciting, but oh, I want a good top four title race. I want to see them all trading points and trading wins and there being like three points in it. Or oh, I want a title race like the relegation race this season. So there's another, another Chelsea player uh, who potentially is linking into transfers that we that mentioned. Um, that I kind of want to mention. Um, which is Willian, who, hasn't signed any, who as far as I'm aware has not signed a new contract. Looks like he'll be on his way out. But actually, he's been very good for them this season. You know, he's he's completed more... He's successfully completed more dribbles this season than Pulisic. He's not young. No, I think he's plus 30 now. But it looks like William's going to be on his way out, which... I'm not sure it's a good move in the weirdest way. Like, at the start of this season, I would have gone oh yeah, get rid of him, like yeah, he's, you know, he's getting on a bit. Really a big deal it's not really a big loss. But he's actually performed really well this season.
1: He's had his glory days at Chelsea. I think he needs to kind of, he needs a new challenge. I think at this point in time, Chelsea's attacking options, that well attacking options plus the people that they're looking at, I don't see him in that squad. I think yeah, he's going to be a good squad player, but at 30 one with arguably three or four years left in him, of playing at a top level, is Willian going to be satisfied at playing second fiddle to Pulisic,
0: Zieck, Mason, Mount? I don't, I don't at all think that he'll be happy with with the position he'll be in at Chelsea because it's not really his place anymore. But I think but, I think he's still good and I think they could still but, use him. Like another player that's probably on the way out of Chelsea that has, has been a fairly reasonable performer. I don't think it's too much of worry as much as William um uh, is Jorginho who looks like he's gonna be going reuniting with Mauricio Sarri at Juventus. I don't think it's a big loss. Again he's he's been good. He's you know he's his passing's been good. That's what he's there for. Doesn't really help out in the pressure. It's just not his game, which I don't think really helps Chelsea this season. Let him go, I reckon. I think so,
1: too. I, can't, I, For me, if I was Frank Lampard, I'd be looking at my squad and going, who don't I need? Who is bit part? Who can I offload? Who can Absolutely. I
0: get shot of? I'm going to move on to... It's been a pleasure, gents. So until next week until next week enjoy painting
1: oh. your fence love dave randomly was looking out the window and saw a woman painting a fence so he said enjoy painting your fence love but the way he said it, it was like he was signing off at the end of like an interview <laughs> uh
0: in the immortal words in what words as as we always say as we always say on this pod, podcast enjoy painting your fence love i suppose i'll <laughs> fix your watch <laughs> <laughs>
1: right see you next week boys Bye.